If you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 5, we've been doing our study and uh, just taking our time going through here. It's such a wonderful book and such a wonderful study. We ended, the last time we did teach, we ended on those verses 12 through 16 where it talks about the Word of God in chapter 4. Chapter 4, 12 through 16, the Word of God is quick, right? It's living, it's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And when we talked about the, the miracle working power of the Word of God, the uniqueness of the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God. And we could do studies. I remember I had a, a series that thick of, of uh, DVDs and CDs of Dave Hunt just doing the authority of the Scriptures. I mean, hours and hours. It was wonderful. So you, you can't really exhaust it. And I love talking about God's Word. But, he, but because of what the Lord has done and because of His Word, and then it says in verse 14, we're back in chapter 4, seeing that we have this high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And it talks about how we can boldly, become, boldly come before the Lord and come into His very throne room of grace and mercy that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that actually meant in time of need, literally, if you look it up, it's like our cliche, in the nick of time. Yeah. That's literally what it means. We can find grace and mercy in the nick of time, going into the presence of the Lord. It's always there. We always have an advocate. We always, if everybody turned around against you, even your own family turned against you, we always have an advocate with the Lord. And He is our high priest, and He's done what needed to be done uh, for us, and he's in that position. He's not a dead God. He's a living God. And the Bible says he ever lives to intercede for us. And that's what he's doing. So I want to move on. We're going to talk a little bit about our high priest in chapter 5. I'm not going to spend as much time on the first few verses as I am on the second half, but we should be able to cover this uh, fairly short chapter tonight. So let's look at chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men, in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant, amen, the ignorant, that's us, and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity, and by reason thereof, hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for our sins. Now I'm going to stop right there. The Bible talks here about uh, that he's a priest, every high priest. He's talking about just the normal priest, the Levitical priest that men had. He says every high priest is taken from among men, ordained for men, in the things pertaining to God. God would choose a priest, whatever priest it was that was chosen from the sons of Aaron, it would have been the Levitical priesthood. He chose the priest. Uh, among men, so the priest came out of a group of men, set apart for the Lord, but set apart for men to represent men and to go on men, the behalf of men before the Lord. It says to offer up sacrifices, uh, to offer up gifts and sacrifices for sins. It doesn't say for sin. Those priests weren't offering sacrifices for the sin nature of man. There was a difference between sin and sins. Sins are the sins that we commit. All of us have committed sins. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so that's what's what these priests would offer up for. 
right? If, if you commit this trespass or the sins of the people at the annual day of atonement, great day of atonement, it was for the sins of the people. None of those sacrifices could change the nature, the sin nature of man, nor were they ever given for that purpose. They were given to be a covering or an atonement that God provided. God still had to forgive men of their sins, amen? And that's why the Bible tells us all through that uh, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because they're fresh and new every morning. So he's still a merciful God in the Old Testament. Uh, and he's merciful right on through. But these were men that were men. They were sinful men. We're going to talk about that more as we go. But it says that he might have compassion, verse 2, that, that these men could have compassion on the ignorant. I mean, that's literally what it says here. And uh, it me and ignorant and, and those that are out of the way. And out of the way simply means disobedient. So sometimes there are sinful things that we're just ignorant of. It's not an excuse. It's just a fact, okay? I'm not saying we excuse ourselves and say, well, I didn't know that was a sin. The fact of the matter is that sometimes people can sin ignorantly, okay? Especially under, I would say, under Levitical law, they might just not have realized what they were doing. It's not an excuse, and if God didn't use it as an excuse, He made a provision for it, okay? So got that these high priests, and under the old system, could have had compassion on the ignorant and those that are out of the way. Out of the way is what it says in King James, but that literally means the disobedient. They knew and they transgressed. Mm -hmm. All right, we're guilty of all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I want you to look, keep your spot marked in, in Hebrews 5 and turn to Leviticus chapter 4. There's several scriptures we're going to read, but people have a real misunderstanding, I believe, about the law and about seem, seemingly like the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. And especially in a lot of modern day uh, preaching and sermons and theologies and books and all that kind of stuff, it's more like a really like a bad-mouthing, for lack of a better term, of the Old Testament. God doesn't bad-mouth the Old Testament. Amen. We're thankful that we're part of this new covenant. Very thankful, and we are. We're not going back to the old one. We have no desire to go back to the weak and beggarly elements of the law. We understand that. But the Bible doesn't, nor does God, nor the Holy Ghost, bash the Old Testament. And in Testament, I mean the covenant, or the God of the Old Testament. He was very merciful and kind. If he wasn't, every time somebody broke the law, they would have just dropped down dead. Just like he's compassionate to us before we got saved, the wages of sin is death, but the first time you and I committed a sin, we didn't die. It, that death is set in motion. The wrath of God abides on us, okay? And if we don't repent, we're going to, you know, give our life to Christ in this dispensation, then we're certainly going to die and go to hell. The point is that God's merciful, old and new. He made a provision for sin, Old, old Testament and New Testament. He was kind, He was forgiving, He was compassionate. In, in both the Old and New Testament. And we have no desire, as I said, to go back under that. We're not part of that. I don't want to be a Jew. I don't want to go under the Old Covenant law. But at the same time, I can be thankful for what God has brought through that Old Covenant. Amen. Christ came as a, as a promise in that. He was a promise in that Old Covenant. Right. And all the types and shadows was, was to show the coming of the, the Savior. 
and a different priest after a different order and so forth. They wouldn't have to offer sin, uh, sacrifices for his own sins and then the sins of the people. But still, the scapegoat and all those things were there and the lamb that was offered up, an innocent lamb offered up for guilty people. All those pictures are there. Don't be little, don't bad mouth it. Be thankful that we live under this covenant. And, and But but uh, anyway, I just wanted to, to mention that. So we're talking about how these priests would make uh, provision, or God made provision for those that were just ignorant. And I want you to look at Leviticus 4, and I'm going to read uh, 2, and I'm going to skip down to verse 22. Well, let's pick up verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. So this is part of the Levitical law, saying, If a soul shall sin through what? Ignorance. See in verse 2? If a soul, if that's an individual person, shall sin, how? Through ignorance against any of the commandments the Lord of the Lord concerning things which ought not be done and shall do any uh, against any of them. If the priest is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. What's the point? The point is that that God made a provision for that. And I don't just want to blow by it and, and, and skip it. That's Leviticus 4, verse 2. Verse 22. Let's look at it. When a ruler, all right, when a ruler has sinned and had done somewhat through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord his God concerning things which he should which should not be done, and is guilty. So he sinned, he sinned out of ignorance, he's guilty. He's not excused because of it, he's guilty. We're not going to read it, but God made a provision. Okay? One more scripture, and I think we have the point. Verse 27. And if anyone... So first he talked about priests, then rulers. Now he says in verse 27, And if anyone of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord, concerning things which ought not be done, and be guilty... Okay, what is he, and he's going to go on to say there's a provision for that. God made the law, he commanded men, he put it upon people to live under. It was never the Savior, it was never intended to be the Savior. It was to teach men to to call upon God. It was to teach men a moral way of living. It was to teach men a character of God. It kept for order in the nation. There was three levels to the law. There was the ritualistic law or ceremonial law. There was the moral law. Like, you know, don't lust and don't commit adultery and so forth and don't steal. And then there was the civil law, which actually helped kept keep order in the people. Even if they weren't godly, if they feared God and kept the commandments, it kept for order at the very least. And it was a testimony to Gentiles and people that didn't know God watching how these people lived. But in all of it, God made a provision. And in all of it, they needed to individually by faith be saved like Abraham was before the law like David and Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, people were under the law uh, that lived during that dispensation, and like we are uh, on this side of the cross. But I just wanted to read that because God is merciful, and I think He's kept a lot of people misunderstand, and there's this haughtiness. There really is. You've seen it. You've read it in Mm -hmm. books and pamphlets and, and everything else. A haughtiness against the Old Testament where I don't see that in the Scripture. If you just had the Bible and you just went by yourself as a, with the Holy Ghost living inside of you and began to read the Bible, you wouldn't come away ridiculing the law. 
you'd be thankful for Jesus, yeah. but you wouldn't come away ridiculing the law or saying that somehow God in the Old Testament wasn't kind and mer kind and merciful or whatever, because uh, He was. And I just think that that's uh, a, a wrong doctrine and a wrong bent in our day. And I don't want to get that way, okay? All right, so let's go back to Hebrews. It says that, that these priests could have compassion, okay, on, on the weak, but those that have turned out of the way. And, and it just means on our infirmities, on our, the feebleness of man, okay, the frailty of that. And I want us to, to keep moving on. And by verse 3, and by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. Again, that's plural. When Jesus died on the cross, y'all, he died not only for our sins, and the sins of the world were placed upon Jesus. And that's what the Bible tells us. But he also, uh, he also bore our sin in the sense of that giving us a new nature. He didn't have a sin nature. And I'll say it all the time, we're sinners on two counts. We're sinners by our very nature, being a child of Adam. The Bible clearly teaches that, having a sin nature. Okay, Romans chapter 5 and other, other uh, scriptures. The nature of man. That folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's just there. And then we're sinners because we've committed sin. So it's our nature. And because it's our nature, then we're guilty of breaking God's laws. We act out our nature. We live out our nature. But the Lord, these high priests and the, and the sacrifices that they would offer, as I said, God would receive that and accept that as being a covering for their sins, their acts of sin that they committed. They, the, the sin nature still had to be dealt with in, you know, in another way, by faith in the Lord. Being justified, Abraham believed God, God counted it to him for righteousness. Okay? And so that faith has to be there. And so, anyway, I'm going to keep, keep moving on. Uh, no man taketh this honor, the honor of being, becoming a priest of the Lord, no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, and that was his father, Thou art my son. These priests were never called sons, okay? They were priests. God loved them. But no one, out, no one ever had the honor of being called son in the sense that Jesus Christ was. But the Lord said, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Have you all heard of Melchizedek? I know you have. It's a funny name. He's not mentioned a lot in the Bible. Melchizedek. And he is a type of Christ. There are types of Christ. It's, when I say a type, and when a Bible scholar says it, you understand it's just, he's not Christ. Never claimed to be Christ. We don't worship him as Christ. He, in, what, in whatever fashion or form, you know, he portrayed Christ. Isaac, you know, I love that story about Abraham going to offer up Isaac, right? And God calls him to do it. And he says he placed the wood on Isaac. And it's a picture of Christ carrying his cross. He's, he's carrying that wood. And he's going to a place where he's going to die. He knew it too what was going to go on. And uh, anyway, there are types of Christ. And Melchizedek, we know very little about, but he was a type of Christ. In chapter 7 of Hebrews, we're really going to get in because there's a lot of scriptures, a lot more scriptures. 
So I'm going to hold off a little bit there, but I do want to read. Uh, I do want to read a few things. So if you will turn to Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Now we know how Abraham was an intercessor, right? He he walked with God. He feared God. His nephew Lot was would get worldly and that kind of thing, and, and Abraham would intercede. Well, Abraham went and rescued Lot and a bunch of other people. Abraham was a mighty man at this point in his life. He had like his own personal army. The Lord had really blessed him with wealth and possessions and servants. that was like his own army. And when literally they went after another army, a nation, and brought back Lot and others that were taken captive. Okay? Rescued him unharmed. Nothing was lost. He got them all back. And when he came back, this is the scene that takes place. So if you're looking at Genesis 14, verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, y'all, this is at least 400, about 440 years before the Levitical law was given. Before the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants and the Ten Commandments and all of those things. Even here, there was a priest of the Most High God. The Bible tells us that. So don't we, have, we don't have to wonder, was he a false priest or a false prophet or some idolatrous priest? Because they had those too. A Baal worshiper. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him. And so this priest is blessing Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him, Abraham gave him tithes of all. And so Abraham comes back. So not only does he rescue his nephew and his nephew's family, and all the people he didn't even know, they were taken captive, he brought them all back and all their stuff. And there was a spoil. There was leftover stuff probably that they got. And Abraham was blessed by this priest, and Abraham paid tithes to this priest. He gave tithes to him. He gave a tenth. That's what the word tithe means, mm. of all that, that he possessed. And the interesting thing about Melchizedek, again, we'll talk about it more in chapter 7 as we, as we get to this book, but it says he had no, uh, like no beginning and no end. It doesn't mean they didn't really have a beginning or an end. It means it's not recorded. <clears throat> you know how important genealogies are in the Bible, okay? Jesus' genealogy, David's genealogy, whoever it is, we can see it. It's an amazing thing. I've said that you can trace back from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to Abraham. You can trace him back, Not maybe not every aunt and uncle, but you can trace that one line all the way back. And here we get to Melchizedek, and we don't know who his parents are, were, and we don't know when he was born, and we don't know when he died. When did he become a priest of the Most High God? We don't know any of that. And in that sense, he was a type of Christ, because Jesus came unto his own, his own received him not. Uh, and he said, well, we don't know where this man came from. And, and the lame man, I think it was either the lame man, I don't remember exactly, that he healed, or the blind man in John. Uh, I read them both recently. But the Pharisees were really been out of shape because Jesus healed them on the Sabbath day. And, and, and this man says, well, he couldn't do the works. The healed man said he couldn't do the works of God if 
if he wasn't of God. And they said, well, we know this man's a sinner. And we don't know where he's from. And the healed man says, well, why is that so amazing to you that he, you don't know where he's from? And yet he's healed me and given me my sight. In other words, he's, he's from God. And, and Jesus came and, and he didn't come just as the son of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, that high priest. You know what I mean? He came in the fulfillment of the prophecies. And so in, in that sense, and probably in some others, he's a type of Christ. But we're, what I really wanted to move on to tonight, back in Hebrews chapter 5, and, and spend the remainder of our time tonight talking about this. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. All right, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, from verse 7, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, this is Jesus, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, that means complete. The work that he came to do was finished. And God had planned for him to do that through trials, tribulations, suffering, the cross, all of that. It was all part of God the Father's plan for God the Son. Jesus didn't have to be perfected in the sense that we do, going, going from being a sinner to being sinless and clean. He had to be perfected in the sense of completing what he came to do. And it says he learned the obedience to the things he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of what? Eternal salvation. Could those high priests, they're under that Levitical law, just the law itself, could anybody be brought to a place by the law itself to eternal salvation? No. I said before the law, during the law, and after the law, men are justified by faith. That's where the eternal part comes yeah. in. That's where the eternal salvation comes in. That's where heaven becomes your home. And God becomes your father. And you become saved. And so here's what Jesus did. He made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Uh, let's look at one scripture real quick. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And it says, seeing that you have purified your souls, how? In obeying the truth. Obeying the truth. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But it says here we're to obey the truth. The yeah. truth as it is in Christ Jesus. Yeah. That He's the Savior, not by works that we've done. And so the Bible says... He being made perfect became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest. I'm back in chapter 5 of Hebrews. Called for, by God a priest after the order of Melchizedek. All right. Now, this is what we're going to focus on the rest of the time. And I'm going to read 11 through 14. You know these scriptures pretty well. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, uttered seeing you are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For every one that is useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
We all have heard that, that passage, right? I've thought about it often and studied it and thought about it myself. The Bible talks about, uh, here, the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, I'm thinking Paul, but, you know, it's not, it's really not that important. The Lord gave it to us. He's saying, I've got a lot of more things to tell you about Jesus, this high priest. He says, but they're, they're hard things to learn and hard to be uttered seeing you, the reason being that you are dull of hearing. You're dull of hearing. And that, that word literally means you're slothful. So who's the responsibility fall on in this, this case, the teacher or the student? The student, right? Sometimes you can have false teachers and you can have people that teach something out of, bent out of, you know, out of balance or whatever or just wrong. But here we see you are dull. I've got a lot more things I want to tell you. They're hard, but I, they're especially hard for you because you're dull of hearing. And we know that Isaiah's prophecy, and I forgot exactly where in Isaiah, but where he says over and over again, um, Jesus says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of his people? You know, they worship and honor me with their, their mouths, but their hearts far from me. Their eyes they have shut. Their ears are dull of hearing. That's mentioned in at least three of the four Gospels. It's mentioned in the book of Acts. And it's mentioned right here. Dull of hearing. And I believe the responsibility for that falls on the hearer. Jesus said, take heed how you hear. That's important. Not only what you hear, certainly I need to tune into the truth and I need to repel, stay away from what's false. I have that responsibility. But take heed how you hear. What if we sat in this church every service, service after service after service, and whether Jordan and Patricia are teaching Sunday school or Stephen's teaching a men's Bible study or Alberto's preaching or Jenny's testifying on a Sunday night, it's all good and it's all solid. But we could sit here and hear that all the time, all the time, all the time. But I'm responsible for how I hear that. Not only what I hear, but how I hear it. And I need to hear it with faith. And I need to hear it with uh, humility. And I need to hear it, when I hear it, say, that is an authority. God's Word is the authority over my life. And I need to sit under it. And I need to say, can you tell me that again? I need to hear that. I need to go to it eagerly. I need to go to it and say, I get it this much, but I'm going to study more because I want to get it this much. And there, when we press in like that, God will do it. Or we could get fat and lazy right here. I'm talking about spiritually fat and lazy. We're so blessed. I could point to anybody in this room and say, can you testify? Can you share five minutes on grace? Can you talk about, teach Sunday school or whatever? And I believe God's blessed us with a group of people that could do that. It would be, it would be right. But I need to take heed how I hear. Your ears, you're dull of hearing. That means slothful. Okay? And we need to be careful that we're not that way. I'm going to give you the opposite of that real quickly, as fast as I can. First, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. I love the, uh, when you read these little books of First and Second Thessalonians, we might study those sometime. The, the way that these people received the Word of God was very uh, Christ-like. There's no real rebukes to them. It's like they, they received it with readiness of mind and they were ready to go. And I appreciate that. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It says, For this cause also thank we God, Paul says, without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. 
So when we brought God's word to you, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. That's a wonderful scripture because you could bring that same message, whatever Paul brought to him the first time, I know it was Christ, but whatever he brought, he could have brought to another people and they might have known the scriptures already themselves and not received it. But these people received it with a readiness of mind and they obeyed the truth and they believed and they received it. This isn't just Paul's word and Barnabas or Silas or whoever. This is as it is in truth, the word of God. That's how I need to receive it. And that's how you and I need to receive it. If we're going to learn and grow, that's what these last few verses of chapter 5 are talking about. They're talking about growing up. Have you ever heard an older brother just say to a younger brother, whatever, you just need to grow up, right? We do. We need to grow up. And it is a crying shame. And I will be the first to raise my hand. But it's a crying shame and a shame to the Lord for a believer to be here when he ought to be here in their maturity and growth. God knows where we should be. It's not for me to tell Chris Hudson where he should be necessarily by now. Maybe as, as a pastor or someone in his life, I could see some things and, and provoke him on. But really, who knows where they ought to be? The Lord knows where Chris should be by now. The Lord knows where Reynolds should be and Amber and where I should be by now. And, and wherever that is, that's where we should be. And if we're not there, it doesn't mean we're not saved, not loved by God, we're going to hell. We're in Christ. So that's, that's taken care of. But he would have me to be here by now. He would have me be getting this word of God and going and teaching people. And I'm still having to go back over it again because I'm dull of hearing. I've become slothful. I've become lazy. And God's saying, you've been at this way too long, son. You should be way beyond here by now. Now the good thing is, y'all, if we'll confess that and repent and be honest before the Lord... He can take us and somehow, and only the Lord can do this, I don't know how, but if we're supposed to be here and we're here and a lot of time has passed and I've been twiddling my thumbs and I haven't been seeking God like I should, He's able to move me there. I don't know how, but He can do it. He can do it very quickly. And I know I've shared this before in my own life. I I can say it because I, I lived it, that when I gave my life to Christ and then I and I prayed for him, and I meant it. I believe I was saved at that time. That I lived the next five years of my life uh, as a carnal, worldly Christian. I don't know that I grew grew one inch in five years. It was pitiful, okay? And it was a pitiful testimony. It was pitiful in every way. But I was loved by the Lord. I believe I would belong to Christ. I was not surrendering fully to his lordship of my life. We could argue that all day long, the doctrinal points of that. But the point is, I know that when I did, when he dealt with me and put the fear of God into my life, because me personally, where I was, is me by myself in my apartment at LSU with Jesus. And he spoke to me and said, it's enough. You better decide what you're going to do. Are you coming with me or not? You're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And I said, yes, Lord. I'm coming on. And he was able to. So I can personally testify. And also the Bible, I think it's in Jeremiah, the Lord can restore the years the canker worm ate, right? 
He restored those years to me. It was like I went from here to here really fast. I mean, very fast. Because the only thing God was waiting on from, from me was a surrender of that will. You know, the world, Jesus. My friends in the world, Jesus. You know, all this over here in the world are Jesus. And I said, Jesus. And he says, okay, now, let's go. And he can do that. So I don't want you to be discouraged if you're not where you should be at this point in your Christian life. You can be. You can be where you should be today. If you will deal with God seriously about it and let Him deal with you seriously about it, seriously about it and mean it. I've always used the example, if a little baby is six days old and they can't walk yet, it's okay, right? They shouldn't be walking six, that would be weird. But if they're six years old and they're not walking, there's a problem, okay? And that's all I'm saying. There's a point where we should be here. The Lord knows where it is. And I think we know in our hearts where we should be by now. And he says, for when for the time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers. So he's saying to these group of Hebrew Christians, specific people, all right? When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. That means like the most basic elements. That's where we get the word element or atom, atoms from. You know, everything's all matters comes from with atoms as being this, these building blocks. That's literally what it means. You're having need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. There's nothing wrong with milk, but God has meat for us. And we come to the place where we should be eating meat and not still living on milk. You can't grow on God just on milk, okay? And we know the, the scripture in 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, what? That you may grow thereby. So we have to have the, the word of God to grow. But obviously here too, and in other scriptures, it talks about the meat of the word. The meat of the word would be like what we're studying tonight. Just going on, going on, going on. You never leave those basic principles. I don't leave repentance, and I don't leave salvation in the blood of Jesus or faith in Christ. That's a, that's a foundation. But I build upon it. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying you should have been teaching people by now and you're having to sit there like uh, in pre-K and being taught your ABCs again. These are your colors, okay? Red, blue, you know, and these are your numbers, 1 through 10, and these are your animals, and these are your, your ABCs. And he's saying you should be moving on by now. God wants us to move on by now. It's not that we can't enjoy milk, but we ought to be living off of meat. Okay? We should be living off of meat. He says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Unskillful means inexperienced. Inexperienced. I don't want to be inexperienced. I want to be experienced. I want God to be able to use me. Uh, in, they're unskillful in the word of righteousness. Why? For he is a babe. He's a babe. You wouldn't expect a baby to be advanced in something. But, but you would expect a mature believer to be advanced in something. And he's saying we ought to be mature by now. I want you to uh, read another scripture real quickly. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. And I, brethren, would not speak, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual 
He didn't say they weren't Christians. This is important. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. He's not complimenting them right here. He's also not saying you need, you're, not, you're lost and going to hell. He's speaking to them as babes in Christ. And he's saying, I still can't speak to you as spiritual people, even now, because you're carnal and you're babes. And I have meat to give you, but you're still sucking on the milk bottle back here. And it's time for you to move on. And says, but strong meat, I'm back in Hebrews, the last scripture we'll look at tonight. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is, a, this is important, y'all, that the strong meat is for, it pertains to, it's appropriate for uh, those that are full age. Full age to me, from what I've studied, it's just the appropriate age. It's where you should be. If I'm 53, then I should be the maturity of a 53-year-old, okay? If somebody's five years old, there ought to be the maturity of a five-year-old. And in Christ, we're not limited by those numbers, you know, of ages. But the point is, as I said at the beginning, there's a place where you ought to be in Christ, and that's a full age. And so full age for me today should be what I should be today. And at six months from a year now, I don't know how the Lord counts it, five years from now, ten years from now, there should be another place that I am in Christ, right? That would be full age. Five years from now, you and all, all of us in this room are where we should be five years from now in Christ. That's full age. And strong meat belongs to them that are full age. And here's a characteristic of those that can take strong meat, live by strong meat, and, and are skillful in the word of righteousness. It says, by reason of use, they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's, that's very important. Right? We know a lot of experiences recently in our life. We need to be able to discern good and evil. Discerning is simply judging. Everybody says don't judge, but you read a lot about it in the Bible, don't you? There's a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. Judge according to the Word of God. Judge righteous judgment, Jesus said in John 7, not after the appearance. And so we need to exercise. It says when their senses are exercised, that just means trained to discern both good and evil. Uh, a baby will put, I read this from uh, one of the, the commentaries, it says a baby will put anything in his mouth, and an immature Christian will listen to any preacher. And that's the truth. And we need to be careful. It doesn't mean they're not a Christian. It means they're an immature Christian. They ought not be. You know, understand that. It doesn't mean they're not saved. They might not be. I'm saying if they're a Christian, they're a Christian, even if they're a babe. But he says a baby will put anything in his mouth, and an immature Christian will listen to any preacher. And or and you could, you know, expand that, read any book, go to any conference. Uh, I, I know I know people that uh, that just would just about they're so desperate maybe for a healing or desperate for a new touch from God or a move from God in their life that they have chased after some awful things that they should have never, and they knew better, and they chased after them anyway. And that's just an immaturity. That's an immaturity. 
I believe these people that I'm thinking of anyway are saved. They love the Lord. That was immaturity. And we ought not do that. We're going to find what we need right here. We're going to find what we need right here within a fellowship of believers. We're going to find what we need right on our knees before the Lord. And, he, and He's going to satisfy us. He'll lead us to something in His Word. He'll lead us to something in the Bible that's going to guide us or lead us and bring that growth and that maturity. The last scripture, if you'll turn with me, we'll close and we won't go back to Hebrews. Turn to uh, Ezekiel 44, verse 23. The Lord had a problem with his priests. And he said, I'm going I'm to raise up some real priests here that really are, are shepherds of my people. In verse 23, Ezekiel 44, 23. They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time. They, these right priests, they're going to teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane. What is that? That's discernment. That's judgment, moral judgment, spiritual judgment. It's not only important, it's, nece- it's absolutely necessary. We have to have that spiritual discernment. And the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. and is a discernment of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And these priests teach them the difference and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. And y'all, I'll just simply say this. Jesus is better, okay? He's, he's the Lord, and in this epistle of Hebrews, we're seeing that He's better. But there's a place where God wants us to be. He wants us to grow. We didn't even have time to read it. It's in the Foundations book. We're going to get to it real, real soon, like next week or two in Sunday school, about the daily walk of a Christian. And in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love that they may what? Grow up in Christ Jesus. <laughs> and, and that's really simply what he's saying here. It is a rebuke. You know the Lord can rebuke us and still love us? It's not the end of the world. Today, people are so soft that if they get rebuked, it's like you've crushed them. And, you know, a teacher says something or a coach says something to a player. Now, I know you can just be downright cruel and demeaning. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about coming with a correction. Jimmy, you got an F. You got zero out of 100 on this test. Okay? Oh, you've crushed me. You hurt my feelings. No, I want to help you learn math. Okay? But the fact of the matter is you got zero out of 100. And then they're going to cut it. And so people today have gotten so soft they can't handle that. Precious are the wounds of a friend. Or there's a scripture like that. Or David says, let my friend the righteous smite me. It'll be a blessing to me. It'll be a I'll thank the Lord for it. If a righteous man corrects me and reproves me. Well, that's what God's saying in the Scripture. You ought, to be, you ought to be teachers with your babes. And you're unskillful and you're immature. But you know what he's also saying? I can make you skillful. I can make you mature. I can take you and make you what you need to be. There's always hope with the Lord. So don't let a rebuke from the Lord, from His Word, or a pastor, or someone comes and talks to you, or a friend comes and talks to you and pulls you to the side, or... or Peter, or he pulls me to the side and says, you know, Randy, such and such, and I'm going to buck up against that, or I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to receive that from the Lord. At least bring it to the Lord in prayer, humbly, and find out if it's from God or not, and then grow from that. That's the one that's going to grow and mature. So don't let a rebuke uh, kill you. These Christians were rebuked. 1 Corinthians 3, we just read. They were babes. They were carnal. They were. 
But you know what? By 2 Corinthians, when he wrote the second epistle, they come a long way, and he commended them for that. He repented. It was awesome. He did what was right. This is great. He commended them for that. For that. And so I just want to close by that, and I want to grow in the Lord. I've seen him do it in my own life. I've seen him make up for wasted time, sinful time, carnal time. I've seen him do it. I know he can do it. His word says it, and he's proved it to me. So I don't want anybody to leave here discouraged. If you are not a full age, I should be here by now. I've been saved 25 years. And I'm still piddling around a little kiddie pool down here. And I ought to be diving off the diving board in the deep end. God can take you, but it's nothing I can do for you. or nothing you can do for me. But you can surrender whatever's holding you back to the <coughs> Lord. And He'll make it up so quick you won't believe it. Like if you wasted five years, it's not going to take you five years to make up for it. It could take five minutes if God gets a hold of that will. You'd be amazed how quickly He can do that. Y'all stand and let's just pray tonight. And you make your altar where you want to. We'll spend just the last few minutes before the Lord. But I think we, we have clearly something to pray about. I know I do from God's Word tonight. I don't want to be unskillful. I want to be what God's called me to be. I want to be what I should be for His glory at this time of my life. So, Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name. We make an altar at our chairs. We make an altar uh, walking around. We, we just going to set aside this time before we go home tonight, Lord, to meet with You, to take that Word that You have spoken to us, God, and to allow it to, to take up residency in our hearts, and in our minds, God, that it would make us more like Jesus, God. The Word is always perfecting us. It's always convicting us and instructing us. And when we're convicted by Your Word, God, we want to come before You and lay down our lives and say, You're right, Lord. That's what it means to confess our sins. You're right, I confess. I'm immature. I'm a babe. I'm not where I should be. I'm unskillful in the Word of righteousness. I'm, I'm not able to teach Your Word like I should be able to teach it. But Lord, I confess that to you. And I don't want to stay there. And so I'm calling upon you. I'm dependent upon you. Lord, take me from this place of shame, so to speak, Lord, and immaturity. And would you please restore the years that the canker worm ate? Would you make me skillful in the word of righteousness? Would you make me an able, skillful teacher and minister of the word of God? Would you do it quickly? Would you, Lord, by your miracle work and power, make up for the lost time in my life that I've, as a Christian, that I've wasted? I'm guilty of it, Lord. Forgive me. Would you forgive me? Which I know you will, Lord. And would you help me? Just give yourself to the Lord tonight for a few minutes. Thank you, Jesus.